Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everybody, and welcome into today's episode of the Top Cut Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast. My name is Sonny. I am, of course, here with my co-host, Caleb. Yo! And before we get too far into today's episode, I want to take a moment to not forget this time and thank (laughs) our patrons. So a huge thank you to Austin Johnson, Kane Martin, Master of Iza, Mr. Herbie's, Scuzz Daddy, AD, Aaron Gardner, Anthony Leela, Damian Zink, Dino DNA, Mountain Man, Myth Oceanus, Owen Alvarado, Pig, Jeremy Drysdale, Ray Powell, and Sonny Sweet. Thank you all for so much for your continued support of the podcast. And if you want to get access to an extra episode each week where we are going through and reviewing Every product release in the game's history, one by one, well, usually like five by five, five or six at a time. Yeah. And talking about the ban lists and the history of the game as it correlates to set releases, things like that. Be sure to go ahead and you'll find the link to our Patreon on our link tree, which all that is in the description down below. Um, other than that, you could also find our discord server there where we are always there. We're talking all the different formats. We're talking common charity. Now we have, you know, different Tengu plant format, goat format discussion, plus all meta talk, whatever you can find it all there. Or we talk about everything else, video games, anime, whatever. Um, and if you want to get the early access to all of our thoughts and opinions on things as they happen, you can find our Twitter at top cut podcast. Woo. Okay. That's, I think that's all the promo that I'm doing today. Right. Is that, is that Caleb? Is that Uh, sounds about right. Okay. Um, well we do of course have not only us here today, but we do also have a wonderful guest. So thank you to Mr. Kobe short for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are y'all? I am wonderful. So (laughs) for (laughs) those that don't know, Kobe here is living up to his name as a champion. Kobe here won YCS, I believe it was Pasadena 2019. Is that right? 
Yep, it was the last um, in-person single, uh, like single-player uh, YCS in North America. Or COVID, right? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So, Kobe here, one YCS Pasadena. What deck did you play? Uh, Sky Striker Orcist. Okay, so a lot of people, when they think of that time frame in Yu-Gi-Oh, they think of Toss, Eternal Format. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think either Sky Striker or Thunder Dragon or Salamangre or Orcist. So um, yeah. it's, we're, we'll get into it with a lot more depth a little bit later <laughs> on. But can you tell us what brought the combination of the Striker and Orcist strategies into one deck? Um, okay, so if we're going to be honest, um, as much credit as I want for that deck, and as crazy as this is going to sound, um, because this man has definitely been um, very vocal about what he likes to play, but uh, there's this guy called Steven Trifnovsky. I don't know if y'all heard of him, Trif Gaming. Um, he accidentally built the deck on his stream. And um, my testing circle at the time with uh, Hani Jahari and uh, Christian Urena, a bunch of like pretty high, well-known players at the time, um, we like peeped the, we peeped the stream and we were like, "Hold on, he's kind of on to something." Like the deck's obviously just not good, like what he built because he played like I don't know, like ten Sky Striker cards. Um, and I think we all know that every striker card that isn't engaged just ain't really it. Um, but yeah, we were like, I think we can build on this. So we spent, I think like two, three days, um, going into the event, just theorying the deck, building it. And then we tested at our, um, we got to our Airbnb that weekend and we tested for like three days and. I made the audible to actually play the deck for the event, and we all did. And I think almost every person that entered the event with that deck actually ended up in top cut. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's impressive, all right. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was a complete accident. But it's really interesting to be in on the ground level of something like that, right? Yeah, definitely, man. Like, it happens a lot um, when you have people who are willing to go against like the current format like we're we're not trying to be in the format we're trying to make the format if that makes sense yeah um because like little known fact of like competitive Yu-Gi-Oh play but um this is something that patrick hoban touched on in his uh book road to the king a long time ago I say a long time, but it was like five years ago, I think. Yeah, right. Um, the king. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he made a um, side note in his book about a player called Tamid Zahan, or Zaman, I think that's his name, um, where he topped like eight, nine events straight, but he could never like break into like past top 32, top 16. And he would never really get the win, but whenever he actually like went against what was currently in the format and built a deck for his own to not like top the event, but to win the event, the first time he did that, he actually just won the event. Um, and then we took that into 
a whole new level of just we're going to do this every single event. I don't think for from 2018 to right before COVID, um, I don't think we have ever gone to an event with a deck and actually played that deck. Like day before the event, we have swapped decks at least twice an event, three times an event. Like it happens so much where we're just hold on. We're not doing this right. Complete 180. Play Thunder Dragon for an event. Play Striker, Goki, whatever we got to play. We're just, we're not trying to top an event. We're trying to win it. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think Patrick Hoban touches on that a little bit. Um, oh, if it's not in his book, it's in an interview that he does. I know he did an interview with Farfa and another one on a, on a, on a different uh, podcast that's on YouTube. I don't quite remember the name if i if i think of the name i'll put the link in the description yeah of course but he talks about how he has a um uh what's it called he he was playing in 2014 and he would go to regionals and he would play Mm -hmm. a deck that he knew was worse for regionals yeah and then he'd go to a ycs the next weekend and say he was playing um See the deck at the time it was Shadal. I want to say it was Shadal, Burning Abyss, and whatever the third deck was at the time. I, I'm gonna be honest. What, what was it? Teller Knights. Sure. Yeah, Teller Knight. Yeah. He would play. I, they each had a good matchup against the other one. We weren't in the game at the time, so I don't know the mm-hmm. format. I that was my first format. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yep. So each one had a good matchup against the other, and say if he went to uh he went to a regional, and he was playing BA, then he would play Shadal because he knew it had a great matchup against BA. Yep. And then at the next event, he would you know if he if he topped at BA next event he plays Shadal, and you know half the field is playing BA because he has steered the format in the direction that he wants it to go in for the next event. Yep. So he. When you're under that spotlight of just like everyone wants to know what you're playing and everyone will know what you're playing because like information in this game is so hard to keep to yourself with like there's so much media coverage now like on YouTube everyone's putting up deck profiles everyone's making like they're talking about it um right. and look whenever you go into an event from like 2014 to 2016 the first thing you hear is, I want to know what Patrick Hoban's playing. Like, right. every single event. And yeah. th- when me and Hani first started, we started out, like, going to case tournaments around here. Like, just, just trying to get better. But we didn't really know how because we never really had people to just, like, teach us the game. We were, we were finding this out on our own. Um, and... We're like, okay, we want to be like that. We want to be the ones that people want to know what we're playing. So we just decided, like, one day it was just, it's going to happen. Like, we're going to be the best players in the game at some point. Um, And luckily, now we both have YCS wins. (laughs) Well, that brings me... So we're moving forward a little bit. We're talking about YCS tops, YCS wins, defining formats. Let's take just uh, a couple of steps back because 
I think it's just as important to understand where a player comes from when you talk about where they've gotten, right? Of course. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, your origin story, if you will. Um, You can give us a little bit of background about where you're from. Um, Maybe how did you get into the game? What brought you in and what made you really interested in like the competitive scene? Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana. It's a small town. It's like when you describe it to people, um, you say it's just like, uh, like a farm version of New Orleans. Um, It's a little bit to the left of it, you know, um you you could say it's just it's just halfway in between Houston and New Orleans. Yeah, we're just in the middle. Like you you pass by like a farm, you see a cow and a pig, you're you're probably straight through it. You cannot um, understand what anybody's saying, but you still think they're talking English. That's life. Oh yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um and I've been involved like with cards with the Yu-Gi-Oh card game for as long as I can remember when I was like 4 um the TV show would play on Cartoon Network, and I would stay up, watch it every single night, four or five years old. Yeah, and I'm like, man, I, I want to summon Exodia. <laughs> like, I'm trying to win the game, but I didn't know what the game was. Um, and then my parents bought me a pack of cards, and like it all kind of started there. And then I think I took a break for a little while because like, I'm a kid. I'd lose interest really quickly. Um, and then... I hopped back in when I was in, like, just about to get into high school. So, like, 2012. Um, and my first deck, dude, the win con was I would have to open, and, like, I only played one of these cards, by the way. I would have to open Quick Draw Synchron, um, Sonic Chick, or something. I'd just summon a level 6 Synchro and just hope it'd stick there. Like, my deck was terrible. I, I didn't really know what, what I was doing. Oh, but, I, I remember the, I remember those decks. Oh, yeah. Mine was, mine, was, uh, mine was Dark Balter the Terrible Turbo. Oh, man. I don't... Does he have fusion materials? <laughs> like, he real does cards? have fusion materials. And I was, I was determined to draw one of each of the fusion materials and my one polymerization in a 60-card deck. Oh, nice! You played six at a regional, at a regional in Blackwing format. <laughs> hey, hey you, hey, you had the Dark Hexfield fusion in there too. Okay, I mean, yeah. okay. we were getting there. <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is coming from a guy who's running a deck that ran three copies of Blue Eyes White Dragon, Blue Eyes Ultimate Dragon, actually. I mean, yeah, got to get there somehow. And Montage. Oh, and my stra- and my strategy was pitching through Blue Eyes or Montage Dragon, and then Dragon's Mirror into Blue Eyes Ultimate. <laughs> Hey, at least you had a strategy, what? Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes I would summon Turbo Warrior because he was red. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Listen, we have been there, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, been there, done that. Like, dude, I was bad for so long. And, like, I would just mess around. Like, I never took the game seriously. um, But my local scene in Lafayette at the time was, like, it was... So there's been two different local scenes in Lafayette. There was this at the first, like at first, about 2010 to 2013. Um, it was super competitive. You'd have like 30 person locals, 40 person locals every week. And then those players kind of faded out, um, started, you know, growing up and stuff. And then around 2016, 
we got a new local scene of younger younger people that like they want to be competitive because the game is so accessible at the time, but they don't really know how because we don't have those older players anymore to like give us their knowledge in a sense to learn from. Um, so I was kind of stuck in that middle ground of like, how do I get better? Do I even want to get better? Um, why are my raccoon cards not working? Like, I don't know, man. It just wasn't happening. So we went to this tournament and I played my, uh, there was this old deck. It was raccoons. Um, the only playable card in the deck was obedience school. And that card is still crazy today. Um, but back then, Obedience School was like a one-card Nateria Beast, um, which was pretty okay. But it's unsearchable 3 of, so it's not really going to get you that far. Um, yeah. So I was playing that, and people were summoning Shadal monsters. And I was like, um, should I be doing that? Like, y'all are <laughs> summoning two monsters in a turn. I might be summoning one. Most of the time, I'm setting one. And they're like, yeah, man, you should probably look into it so at that point it kind of just clicked i'm like okay i guess to be competitive you have to i don't know play a competitive deck so (laughs) i like started net decking and stuff um looking at topping decks um i zoned in on like a few players at the time like patrick hoban's the first one um sahabi he was a world champion from uh canada he played infernity um let's see who else billy break um there's so many all the old players man uh i looked up like sjc formats of like old pojo forms trying to see everything like i read philly luna matches joe giorlando um joe bogley like there. I read it all, man, and I'm like, okay, I I see what they're doing, and I'm going to learn from it. So I I started playing Shadals, um, and I got my first, the first regional I ever went to, I made top eight. Um, so in my mind, I was like, okay, I don't suck, but I could be better. Like, you know, not to, like, brag on myself, it was just like, you know, like, First regional, nobody expects to do well. But when you're sitting at like table two in the last round, you're like, okay, it's starting to click finally. Um, and ever since then, man, it's just been a whole roller coaster of like ups and downs of in, <laughs> playing in different formats and stuff. I have stories of it all. Um, but that's pretty much my origin story, just getting into um, shit all format being the first one. I got to experience pendulums, um, and I understand the hate that people have for it, but those are some cool cards, man. <laughs> like, summoning five monsters. Yeah, but, like, going back to your, like, your fir- first time, like, doing well at a regional, well, mm-hmm. first time regional, uh, did you, just a curiosity, like, whenever you realized, wait, I'm at the end here at the top tables, do you get, like, that fish out of water, like, I don't. I, I'm kind of uncomfortable because I don't f- like that feeling of I shouldn't be here, but I am. Oh, yeah, man. Look, when I'm sitting down with my rubber mat and my sleeves and like my my anime flavored deck box, like 
and my opponent sits down with their calculator case, their spellground mat, their deck box that has like stickers on it of like different YCSs and stuff. I'm like, man, you are so much better than me, but why are you losing? Like, <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. Like, I should not be right here right now. Can someone beat me so I can go back to where I'm supposed to be? <laughs> like, when I, like, I get super cocky whenever I'm, like, doing well. Um, and this is always something that, like, I've told myself that, like, how I have to be. Um, when I'm playing, I kind of, like, forget how to lose, if that makes sense. Like, you don't really see lose cons for yourself. You kind of just find win cons. Like, how do you win the game? It's not, how do I lose the game? Because I don't like having that negative aspect in, a car in, in the game. So it's always just, like, I'm trying to win the game as much as possible. And whenever I'm doing well, I'm going to... That energy is coming off of me. So even when I'm, like, first regional ever, like, I still got the energy. But inside, I'm like, it's about to happen. Like, pessimism, you know? That internal screaming. Oh, yeah. Big time. It's so. Like, uh huh. Do you still find yourself when you go to tournaments getting that like those pre like do you f ever find yourself getting those pre tournament jitters? Every single tournament I play in, round one, I genuinely like shake. Like it's a new feeling every time. That's something that keeps me in the game even now. It's like I always told myself, man, if I'm not having fun with the game and I don't have that competitive spark in the game, I'm not going to play the game. Because I could be doing something better with my time, you know? Um, yeah. It's just every time. It's like round one, I get so nervous, and then it takes me about, like, a turn to kind of, like, settle in and be like, okay, it's game time. Like, gotta do what you gotta do. But every single tournament, round one, you just never know what to expect. I think that that's something that a lot of players can speak to is mm -hmm. whether it's just adrenaline pumping or nerves or whatever. Uh, I feel like sure. There's some outliers, right? There's people that just sit down at a tournament and they're just like in their element and they feel like, you know, all right, well I'm, I'm here now, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. And yeah. they just, let's do this. Right. They just yeah, hit their definitely. comfort zone. That's when you tested for like two months straight and you're like, okay, it's time to go. And then you lose round one to a normal summon inspector border. <laughs> it happens every time, man. Yeah. <laughs> the hardest round in the tournament's round one. That's it. So is there anything that you can attribute to taking that step from uh whether it be topping, winning whatever your first regional to moving on and going to and topping an event at the YCS level? Um, let's see. So I got my first YCS top in 2017. Um, spiral format. That was the weekend spiral cards came out. Uh, double helix. Um, I don't know. Like, I like, okay, I got it. So, we started going to national events after my first regional um i would go we would make like one big trip i think every 
every single city has these players that do this where you don't really go to every event but you you always go to nationals you know yes. um so we're like okay we'll go to like these regionals and nationals no ycs's unless they're like to dallas something drivable we're never gonna fly to anything and it's like okay well but nats we're going so we would go to nats and i would never really do like well i'd always like be on the bubble um i make day two a couple times but first round of day two i just lose out because i'm clearly not supposed to be there yet like it's not my time um but then 2016 um I had started getting like the the fake confidence of like okay I am better than most people I sit across from in my mind but in actuality like I'm not nearly that good but we played um this was the Cosmo format it was Cosmo BA when Beatrice was at 3 um there was Pendulum but it was like really watered down pendulum. Every single card in the format was at one. Um, so I played I played the pendulum deck because I just like summoning five monsters. And I got sixty fifth at that event. And it was top <laughs> six four cut. Heartbreaking. Like I wanted to quit the game. I was upset. <laughs> I finished day one X one. I lost two rounds out of two rounds in day two. I'm like cool <laughs> like that's whatever um and but it took me about a week to be like okay i'm not quitting the game i'm just gonna take this game so much more seriously because i am better than 65th place i'm going to win an event like i'm i'm not settling for getting close enough i'm i'm going to do it um and then we went through zoo format and then spiral format. It just kicked off and I'm like, okay, it's time. Uh, top that event. I topped eight at that event. Um, probably could have gone a little bit further, but I drew some of the worst hands I've ever seen in my life in top eight. <laughs> I opened, uh, what happens? Yeah. Oh, I still, I still have the hand card for card. So I opened triple spiral resort terraforming double master plan and my opponent was brian levine um he activated set rotation which put a field spell on my field he put oracle of zephyr and just never activated ancient fairy dragon so every single card in my hand was unplayable and i'm like oh yeah you got it dude congrats on top four <laughs> like and so like um, how many uh how many YCSs have you topped at this point? Uh, three. Okay. Yeah, you have... know what they are. Yep. Um. So, when your tops are like not many, you can name each date, <laughs> all of them. So it's you say that Joe Orlando was on our podcast and he had eleven and he named them all and the dates. <laughs> oh Jesus, you got me crushed. <laughs> so I got. Uh, YCS Dallas 2017 with Spiral. Uh, YCS Chicago 2019 with Thunder. Danger Thunder. That was the first weekend that deck was um, really known. And uh, YCS Pasadena 2019 with uh, Striker Orchestra. 
Um, I made it a point to myself to top at least once a year, but 2018, um, that year just didn't happen, you know? <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Life gets in the way, that kind of thing. I, like, we made the Goki deck before that deck was even known. Like, like we were U-boarding people, and no one knew what these cards did. They were laughing at us summoning two warrior monsters and summoning Izold, but they didn't know that was just an FTK. That game was over. Um, I won four regionals in a row with that deck, um, so I'm a little sad I never got a YCS top with that deck, even though, like, I definitely should have, I think. Um, but, yeah. Uh, I was... I will say, towards the end of 2019, start of 2020, um... That is the most confident I have ever felt in this game. Um, I went since Pasadena to the last event before COVID, which was a regional on the 28th of February. Um, I never placed lower than fourth place at any event I went to. Um, like, I was on a tear, man. Uh, so I've. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'm starting to feel like I'm uh, hitting that point of like, okay, I'm starting to get it now. Finally. In your stride. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, just out of curiosity, being, mm-hmm. just, just being nosy, uh, how many YCSs do, uh, back, back that, during that time did you go to a year? Uh, are you talking, do you want me to go like, you want me to start in like 2014? Or it's like in general, when you felt like you were at that competitive level, like how many YCSs did you generally just try to go to? Um, okay, so when I started to com- get competitive, like actually in twenty, I will say twenty fifteen with Necros, um, we would go to. I would make it a point for at least three YCSs a year, nationals, and at least ten to twelve regionals a year. Um. 2017 to about 2018 it was four ycs a year nationals and 15 to 18 regionals and then 2019 it was every single ycs in north america um nationals and 32 regionals um yeah because I fit, I really wanted to try the regional grind for world's points um going into 2020 season um cuz I accidentally just won a YCS so it was like I have to do it now um big points <laughs> Yeah, I get 64 points like you can't just do nothing with those um but I'm sitting at 21st place right now um and without the IRL events cuz I I'm not a big fan of remote duels. Um, without IRL events, it's going to be a little difficult to crack that top 16 place, but, you know, can't give up hope. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, how, 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 do you, how did you decide when you were, like, at a level to where you could travel to a lot of YCSs? Basically, it was just, like, if you're having fun you're going to be doing well because you're actually just you want to be there um and 
it was mainly just the more friends I made out of state. Like, I have friends all over this, all over this game. Like, all over the world, people that, like, I still talk to today. It's just, like, when you want to, like, hang out with them and stuff, like, it's not like you could just go outside and just be like, all right, see y'all in, like, two minutes. Now you have to, like, you only get to see these people, like, maybe once or twice a year if you don't go to many events. Um, so it's just, I was like, okay, I really, I like seeing these people, and I like playing Yu-Gi-Oh!, and I like just the atmosphere of YCS. It's like, it's so much different than anything else I've ever done. And it's like, okay, I just want to experience this as much as possible. Um, so it was mainly just like, the more I grew up, the more I just wanted to keep going to these. Um, and the more often I wanted to. Um, but then last year, it was, or 2019, um, it was just, we want to try and win an event. We want to try and be the best players in the game so we're going to go to everything and we're going to make it a point to go to everything so we just we found a way to do it and we made it happen like i i don't really know um what really was the full driving force of it other than just seeing all the people that i've met over the course of the game and just that competitive drive of just i want to do this as often as possible Right. Um, so I know that the biggest part of competing at the high level that you're competing at is not only your willingness to put in the time and put in the effort, which it's, that mm -hmm. cannot be understated. That's huge. But um, just as much of it is surrounding yourself with like-minded people that want to that want to top every event that want to win every event Correct. so is there any particular way that you went about like connecting yourself with these people or did they just kind of naturally fall into your friend circle um so at first it started just with people in louisiana where I was like, okay, I see y'all enough, and I talk to y'all enough, so we can probably just test and get better, because for a while, like, we had good people in Louisiana, like, we have good players, it's just none of them have the credentials to back that, um, so we're like, okay, let's get them, like, get the credentials we have. You'll always hear, like, Texas, Atlanta, New York, they have the best players, Cali. California, um, you will never hear Louisiana on that um, spectrum. But we were like, okay, well, let's let's start building a circle. So I started. Um, it was myself and Hani and Heisen. Um, we started a little circle there, and it kind of branched out. Um, the more like open we got with people. Um, personally me, I'm a super shy person. Like I'm so outspoken. I don't really talk to people. I don't initiate conversations very well. Um, so that was Hani's job. He's 
loud, um, sometimes obnoxious, um, very vibrant, I would say. And he, his aura just generally attracts people. So they would join our circle and I would just happen to be in it, you know? Um, but then I would make good friends with all these people as well. Um, I, at one point our circle was too big, if that makes sense, because we had too many ideas like floating around, um, at once to even consider testing all of them. So we had to like, there are ideas that we brushed to the side that we probably just shouldn't have, but just with the sheer amount of ideas we had, it just, it's impossible to actually like focus on all of it. Um, so we did have to like chop down our testing circle or like branch it into different sections, kind of like a little social media network. Like we just, okay, y'all test this today. We test this today. Take down notes. Um, that's actually a big spot of where our group chat came from. It's called take notes. Um, we were like, okay, you're taking notes today. And we, that it just stuck with us for a while. Um, and every single group would kind of meet together. Um, but we always had that little core group of just, okay, we're all testing. We're all like bettering everyone else. Um, but yet lately, um, I kind of branched into my own testing circle with, uh, my team. Um, and it's definitely a change of how we test because this is they test com they test decks completely differently than I have before um so it's a lot about bringing my own ideas into that group and making that group as good as possible um while still keeping their fundamentals I don't want to go in there and just change everything that they do cuz like that's just not right like they've done well at other events just like I have and like their ideas have worked so have mine so it's not fair to say that my idea is just straight up better than their ideas so I can't just force change on them but like it's it's a learning process right yeah it's kind of like a melting pot like they they're taking my ideas into consideration I'm taking theirs into consideration I think overall it's just making us all um, considerably better that makes sense. I got you. Yeah, definitely. So, um, let's go in and talk a little bit more in depth about somewhere where you probably have a lot more experience than most. Um, mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit in depth about the Eternal format and yep. how it is similar, compare, contrast it to the format that we're actually in right now. So, the Eternal format is, as most people know it, also called Toss, which is Thunder Dragon, Orcus, Sky Striker, and Salamangrate, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, now, your YCS win came at the end of this format, but obviously you were playing at a high competitive level all the way through it. Mm -hmm. uh, we started and I Okay, so YCS Chicago was the first um, event of that format, and... I won the last event of that format. So I definitely got to experience all of it. Um, okay. Start to finish. 
Gotcha. So, as a general rule of thumb, do you think that there was any particular deck or strategy that was more or less dominant throughout the entirety of the format? Do you think that any one particular deck was the main uh, deck to beat the whole time? Okay, so... How how in-depth can I go on this? Because, look... <laughs> Um, um, just kind of as in depth as you want. Uh, we're not really on a time crunch. All right, cool. So, I guess I'll start with um explaining why my choice of this is my choice. Um, without giving up what the choice is, gotta build suspense, you know. Yeah. So, when we decide on what a best deck is. Um, a lot of people have a misconception of how to identify the best deck. Um, people will say, oh, this is the best deck because it's topping so much. Like, oh, I think the majority of people you speak to will say that Sky Striker was the best deck for a solid portion of that time. Um, but they're not giving you the full story. Um, so the best deck is defined by the deck that every other deck is trying to beat. Um, so right. in that instance, um, you're never going to build your deck to beat Sky Striker because of how against the grain it plays. Um, Sky Striker is very um, back row oriented, very like fair. Um, and I personally don't think the best deck in the format will ever be a fair deck. Um, right. I think the best deck will always be doing the most advantageous things at all times, um, which by default eliminates Salamangrate because the deck was extremely low ceiling, low floor, um, or low ceiling, high floor. Right. The deck didn't have as much variance, um, so that would leave Orcus and Thunder. Um, I'd say Orcus had the most development to do over that format. Orcus at first started with um, Edception and Avery Foster playing uh, what we call the attack deck. Um, so this started with Summon Sorceress was legal and this deck was Blinding Second. Um, all it did was summon enough monsters to put up Boral Sword with an attack position monster over 2,000 attack, uh, clear your board, and then attack for game. Um, it had no other win con other than that. Sometimes it could as a thought you, but not like that wasn't its goal. If it went first, that is what it's doing, but you'd have to tell it to go first. Um, but then it evolved into. The mid-range Orcus deck that a lot, I think, a lot of people are very familiar with. Um, that's the one that um, Dominic Couch played at YCS Knoxville, um, where you main decked uh, the Trickstar engine, the Engage engine, and you only played your normal summon was to put up two dudes, summon Orcus, and then just chill with like trap cards, chill with hand traps not really do a whole lot. 
Um, but that deck could still kill you on the blink of a blink of an eye. Um, and then towards the end of the format, which would be like YCS Pasadena, um, I do personally believe that the Sky Striker Orcas deck, which was what it finally like culminated to, um, that was a tier zero deck um, because that deck did not have a bad matchup in the format. Um, it had extremely favorable matchups across the board and. Like just the sheer amount of like representation representation to tops in top cut, like that deck's top rate is just astronomically high for a de- for a deck with as low representation as it had. Um, so towards the end of the format, I will say Orcus was the best deck, but I cannot say that for the overall part of the format. Um. I would say most of that format, the best deck in the game by miles was Thunder Dragon because of how much, how oppressive that deck was for everything else. Like, you could not walk into an event without a clear game plan on defeating Thunder Dragon Colossus. And that was, that deck summons that card by accident. Like, (laughs) it only, you summon Colossus to overlay it with a Colossus. And then you summon another Colossus. Like the deck's putting that card out for free, and your deck, like Sky Striker, it can't activate most of its cards. Like deck just cannot function throughout the card. But the deck also just puts up like three to four negates and takes two cards from your hand. Like that's a little absurd. Um, and it just got better and better over the event, like over the format. Um, but that all. 100% changed with the uh, Megaton release that year, which had Nibiru and uh, Dark Ruler No More. Um, those are probably the most meta-impacting cards that could have came out at that time. Like, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, those cards are crazy. Um, Nibiru definitely took Thunder, like, not out of the format, but it definitely made you scared to enter eternally with that deck. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, just because I mean, every time from then on that you're thinking about you're going through your combos, going through your lines of play, it's just non-stop cause stopping back, wait a minute, what summon am I on? You know, if nothing else, it, t- it takes players off of their game. Oh, yeah. When you have to... So, at that point, we're playing the Thunder Dragon deck for upwards of six months, where you don't have to care how many times you summon in a turn, and you just put up the best board possible that cannot, like, the board that we're putting up with the Thunder deck at that time was, like, Colossus, Hope Harbinger, Zombie Stein, and we're like, okay, this is going to be evenly matched, a spell card, they can't search, and like they started with four cards. That's good enough. But insert Nibiru into that, that deck changes entirely. Like you cannot play the game freely like that. And right. I'm personally a fan of cards like Nibiru. I think the threat of that card existing is so much better than the card itself. Um because it makes Yu-Gi-Oh! actually have a check and balance system um now that being said um 
I will always be an advocate for Max C staying right where it's at. Keep the card at zero. Because um, I'm not even going to get into the Max C story, but like, let Max C chill over there. <laughs> I got to stay where it's at. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, people have not experienced getting max seed after you get full comboed. <laughs> it's brutal. <laughs> um, but yeah, like inserting Nibiru into the format definitely just put a big check on the format, made decks actually be conservative. It actually, and Nibiru single handedly introduced a definitive mid range strategy of you're going to do enough to not get nibbed, but not lose. Um, which, when you're building your deck that, and deciding on what your deck wants to do, that is that should be the first check. It's like, okay, am, is my deck gonna be the deck that like, okay, if you have Nibiru, cool. Figure out when to drop it. Just let me know. Stop me when you're gonna drop it. If not, I'm gonna just keep playing. Or is your deck gonna be like, okay, I'm gonna summon four times? And tease you into summoning Nibiru, but it's never happening. <laughs> or if it does happen, it's just not really going to be impactful. Um, but that is the first card in your mind that's like, okay, I have to build for it. And Thunder just couldn't do that. So it kind of took Thunder out of the format. But that was the best deck for the majority of that time. So when you think back on a format like that, where it is just a long format right uh, i mean the format realistically lasted like what about a year close to it yep so Just when you when you go back and think on that do you enjoy the game as that that longer paced format where you know each deck really gets a chance to shine on a long-term basis mm-hmm. um so yes um yes and no so Let's see. Okay, so in a long format like that, it's very easy to get burnout because decks aren't really changing. Um, they're not changing in the sense of like, okay, we're getting a new archetype, whereas now we're getting a new archetype almost every every week, every other week, there's a new deck coming in. That's just like, okay, this is going to be a playable deck, you can play it. I think right now we have like seven different decks that are like sleeveable you can play these decks um back then you could play rogue like infernoid didn't suck i think when we get closer and closer to solving a format um it really like highlights the players like the better players um the players who actually like i'm thinking two four ten steps ahead of you at all times like You'll see in if you go back and look at every single YCS for that format, like that year, I'd say maybe 75 to 80 percent of top cut is similar players. Like you'll see recurring names over and over again. Like Christian Urena is the first one that comes to my mind. He topped every single YCS that year, like in a row. Dominic Couch, too. I think he topped every single one as well. He might not have topped YCS Chicago, but every other YCS for a fact, I know he did. Um, it's like, it's not a coincidence that these people are topping every 
I think when you have like interchanging formats, like I think we've had completely different formats for the okay about twenty twenty to like about right now. I think most of the decks are about the same. Like right when when it whenever we got rid of uh, VFD from the format, it's kind of been the same format. Um, but there's been no events, no real events. Um, but when you have formats that are just like changing all the time i think that's when you'll start to see like random players topping every once in a while like just a bunch of inconsistencies um i prefer it's when a format actually has like consistent players because that gives you like a sense of okay this is actually like a good time for Yu-Gi-Oh in the sense of you're getting rewarded for actually playing the game correctly um whereas sometimes some formats have a higher luck percentage in them, I feel. Do you think that this current format um, compares to the Eternal format? Like, it's simply because of length, or uh, it's the same decks being popular for so long? Um, well, if we're being honest, I think most decks have been the same for a very long time. Um, I think we'll always get a deck that's like the aggressor will get about two mid-range decks and we'll get one very grindy control deck that can hop into that mid-range era area but it wants to stay outside the mid-range area because it actually gains an advantage from being outside of it um like right now we have um yeah go ahead and outline the uh, current decks in the format uh in that in that kind of those definitions if you don't mind yeah so our current like aggressor of the format is the bird up deck um but also there's drytron with that because drytron can't really play a mid-range strategy just how the cards function um i do think bird and drytron in my mind that's the same deck they try and do the same thing um it's so much easier when you're playing competitive Yu-Gi-Oh to not necessarily like read every single card in the game because i don't know if anyone has told y'all that they have done that and they're like okay i know what these cards do no one has read every card in the game and can tell you what every card in the game does it's just too many. but they can definitely group decks together i think that is a common thing with like quote-unquote pro players um where you simplify the game to factors of like aggressor mid-range control that you don't have to read what these cards do you just know what their game plan is just off how that deck functions like if you see your opponent summoning like four dudes at once you're like okay you're trying to ftk me right now i'm gonna need hand traps for that um but if you see them summoning like a monster that searches a trap all right cool we're gonna play a game if you see them setting a bunch of cards, okay, it's time to bring in evenly lightning storm, all that stuff. Um, but like, okay, so bird tron, those are our aggressors. Um, mid range is going to be bolt sorcerer variants and like tri brigade, um, and the the B deck. I know Herman's been playing that, getting a lot of success with it. Um. And then our control deck is the Eldritch Trap deck. Um, 
but that deck can also play the role of mid-range just off of how those trap cards and the golden lord kind of interact with the format like big monsters are very powerful and dp is so oppressive that like it can kill you on turn two if you're not doing anything you can't just pass and live a turn they will attack for game like that deck can use its extra deck um what are you where do you think invoke shadow dogmatica falls into that because i think with the addition of dpe it is definitely mm-hmm. a uh i'm not i don't know if we had it in tier one when we did our tier list but you know it, it falls into that effective range of a high level deck yeah so it's definitely something that like players need to be aware of like deck's not bad um personally i think that deck has to main deck so many cards to go against the format that it's very hard to justify a tier one status. Um, I do think it like, there are certain events that like, okay, this is going to be the, the event to play this deck because people are under preparing for it. Any event that like Winda can actually shine in where you're not getting dark earlier. You're not getting dropped cosmic isn't in the main deck, stuff like that. Um, those are those are definitely events where like Winda is tournament winning, winning, winning. Right. <laughs> um, it's tournament winning, definitely, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, and like right now, I think people are attempting to beat DPE like too much, so it's not the time for that deck to succeed. Because if DPE can't really get you there, the deck's main win con is like not working like alistair he's not enough to win you a game but he'll keep you in the game if that makes sense um right. or dpe that's your closer like that card is yeah. just so impactful um and people are starting to acknowledge like okay if i don't have a check for dpe my deck is not going to be functioning so i have to play a deck that inherently like interacts really well with it so that's when like the Sword Soul deck starts coming in, um, cleaning that deck up, and uh, Bird Up for sure. Bird Up trades so well with DP, as long as it's not getting wounded. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that the Invoke deck is very good. It would fit somewhere around mid-range, but I don't think it's necessarily Tier 1. I would put it right on the verge of Tier 2, but high-end Tier 2, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So we are running out of time, but I have one last question that I want to ask you before mm-hmm. we move on. Um, we, mm, well, it uh, <laughs> it seems that I have forgotten what the question is. Oh no! Oh, I remember. <laughs> so y- you said. While there is always an aggressor deck in the format, um, mm-hmm. there is usually a deck. Well, you know, the aggressor deck is not always the best deck in the format, right? It is. It should be perceived as the best deck because it's doing the most unfair things, but I don't. It it won't necessarily take the most tops in a format. Like, so when you're going into an event, how do you choose what deck you're going to play? Do you choose? the perceived best deck do you choose the um aggressor do you choose more of a mid-range strategy or do you kind of play something that plays to your strengths as a player 
Um, so you, when I go to an event deciding what to play, um, I think it's easiest to look at the past event because I do think a lot of players have the mindset of I'm going to play the deck that just did the best at the last event. Um, so they're going to gravitate towards playing like, okay, Bird Up took 16 slots in X event. I'm going to play Bird Up. So there's going to be like an extreme amount of Bird Up at this event. I'm going to be like, okay, what deck has a good check for Bird Up? That would be like Sword Soul, something like that, that just, okay, can play enough hand traps to beat this deck while still playing its engine. Um, and its engine still does unfair stuff because Protoss is just an uh, insane card. Um, so for that event, okay, I'm going to play Sword Soul. But if it's the opposite where it's like, okay, Sword Soul is taking too many slots of top cut, I'm probably going to play the Eldritch deck. Like, that deck just trap cards trade so well if your opponent's investing two monsters into the Synchro Summon. All right, cool, Solemn Strike. You're just down two cards, and now the Eldritch deck just, just eats you alive. Like, the deck's just insane in simplified game states. But that's assuming the Sword Soul deck is being the most popular, taking away the Bird Up deck, and then the Bird Up deck isn't in the format as prevalently, so you won't be getting Zeus as much, which is the main threat for a trap deck. So you that check is out of the way for you. So in that instance, for that event, the trap deck might quote-unquote be the best deck. But it's not the best deck of the format, if that makes sense. Right, right. Um, well, I think that's going to wrap us up. To, um, do you have any closing thoughts that you want to put out there before we go ahead and wrap up the podcast? Um, yeah, uh, let me just put a shameless plug. Shout out to um, Pandemonium Gaming. That's my current sponsor. Um, they have been fantastic sponsors. They have a shop out in Kenner, Louisiana, basically New Orleans. Um, That's definitely. I don't know. Kenner is like basically New Orleans. Yeah, it's the same place. Um, they're hands down the best sponsor. <laughs> Very fun people. Um, yeah, I think that's it on my part. I don't really have much going on. Ready? Uh, before we go, we have, of course, our podcast question of the day. We do it on every episode. So the previous episode's podcast question of the day was, what is one archetype that you would like to see get some legacy support? Uh, do you have one that you would like to see? Oh, dude, if y'all can give me some Vendreg cards, um, that would be insane. Just give me a Vendreg card that does, like, give me a Vendreg card that has Unizombie's text with Vendred in the name. Y'all, that's, that's it. Um, or that's say, no. give me the Vendred stuff. Where's my Vendred stamp at? <laughs> um, if they can copy and paste Orcus Harpor's text onto Orcus um, Harpor just at three, that would be cool. Um, <laughs> give me some cards. Definitely um, Vendred. <laughs> so we do have some answers from our Discord server as well as our Twitter page. So. Mm -hmm. Got some cool stuff from our Discord server. Some people said Insectors, Teller Knight, uh, Light and Dark Dragon Rollers and Babies. I'm good, bro. Uh, they already got the babies. They're at one. 
No, for for light and dark dragon rulers. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're yeah, saying. A light, light and a dark dragon no, ruler. White dragon <laughs> and black dragon clap serpent. They okay. I got you. Yeah. Give me a second. Uh, the black wings because they never got much support. Sure. Uh, a summon skull archetype that would be cool. Although I think you have arch fiends, but they're not very good. No, nah, I'll uh, vote that summon skull one. Hands down. Yeah. Favorite card of all time. Big up dude. Uh, a two-headed King Rex retrain or full archetype surrounding it. That'd be cool. Yep. Uh, a photon card that searches Tachyon Transmigration. We almost had you there, buddy. So close. More Dark Magician support until it wins nationals. Whoa, slow down. You got Dragoon, that's Dark Magician support. <laughs> um, we have uh, more BA support, uh, Dragon Maids. Let's see. More Joey's cards and Chamber- Red Eyes cards. Chamber Dragon Maid needs her Dragon Mode. Uh, yep. right, let's, let's slow down. Yeah, uh, she'll probably be a normal monster. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. Um, more Trap Trick support. Uh, let's see. Uh, I've got the Twitter pulled up here, too. Um, a Celtic Guardian retrain uh, outside of Obnoxious Celtic Guardian. You know, like a more archetype-based uh, fleshed out thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aqua Actress, Aliens, Gate Guardian. That's right. I said Gate Guardian. People are uh, people are standing my Gate Guardians. That's right. Let's go. Gate Guardian. Gate Guardian. That would be cool. Oh, I would, Gate Guardian is my favorite monster of all time. That would that would be the best. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, an attribute based archetype tie-in, similar to what they did with Tri Brigade. That seems broken. Mm-hmm. And a future design issue. Um, X Sabers, more Dragon Maids, Arch Fiends, Fossils, uh, Triamid. I've never heard of Triamid. Well, that's a field spell deck. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, I'm basically an encyclopedia on uh, the the rogue Yu Gi Oh decks. Um, I randomly know what they all do, man. Uh, Ojamas, A, B, C, and X, Y, Z. So we have VW. So what about D, E, F, and so on? That sounds like it would be a lot to keep up with. Yeah, we already have the Worm deck that does that. <laughs> yeah, uh, like some. Yeah, uh, a Barrel Dragon or Dark Machine type archetype. Um, uh, a Back Row Searcher for Black Wings. Some Cloudians. Uh, Horus the Black Flame Dragon support that I could get behind that. That sounds yeah. cool as hell. Yeah. Uh, that's more that's Claw that's of Hermos fusions. That's very specific. Amazonis, more Aqua Actress, Teller Knight, Stellar Knight, Dark World Volcanics, Matlin Boxers, Ubel, um, Dino Wrestlers, Frogs, Wind Ups. Listen, Wind Ups don't need new support. They just need Zen to One and Hunter Band. That's it. Um, sure. Heraldic Beasts, more Battle and Boxers, Cosmo, Fur Hire. There's a lot here. This was a popular one. Megalith, Photons, Buster Blader, Naturia. Lots of great answers. Um, but I, I'm all in on Geargia and uh, Gate Guardian. I would like a Ge- Gate Guardian retrain. I would be awesome. Just do it better than they did Arm Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> Please. I get upset pulling Arm Dragon guards. Same. All right. And the podcast question of the day for this episode is if you could go back and give advice to your past Yu Gi Oh self, what would it be? 
Ooh. Um, buy old cards. Buy all the old cards while they're cheap. Yeah. Okay. So easiest one. Um, buy into uh, ultimate rare tankies in 2014 or 2015. Oh, yeah. Um, solemn strike. That would be cool. Um, just every old ulti that was cheap. Yeah. Um, yeah. buy 150 copies of ulti dasher. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would. Yeah, I would have told myself to get a uh, get a lock for my backpacks. Bruh. <laughs> Bruh. Give me a go back and buy every ghost rare while they're like thirty dollars. For sure. Yeah. All right, that'll wrap us up. Thank you so much for joining us, Kobe. I really appreciate it. Always. Looking forward to seeing you at YCS Pasadena. We'll be uh, we'll be out there. Nice. I, I will also be out there. We've got a we got a link up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, everybody check out our Patreon, check out our Discord, check out our Twitter at Top Cut Podcast. Check out Team Dark Arm Dealings; their channel will be in our link down below. Um, check out ETB Games. We didn't plug them; they are our sponsor. Um, they are your one-stop shop to get all of your Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, uh, Digimon, whatever. Wow. Yeah, they sleeves, accessories, binders as well as everything you need for your tabletop games, D&D, a good place to hang out if you want to play some Super Smash Brothers, whatever, whatever your hobby is, they more than likely support it. So please be sure to check them out, and their link is in the description down below. Um, I think that'll wrap us up, unless you fellas got anything. Nope. All good on my end. All right. Have a good day, everybody. Take care, everyone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.